Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome back to Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am Andy Behrens. Uh, We are presented as ever by planters satisfying your snack cravings for over a hundred years. Oh, do you know what has me satisfied right now? Scott Pianowski. It's uh, it's kickers. Actually, it is the one position that was not injured in week two. We saw Greg Zerline have a heroic day at the most incredible onside kick we've we've perhaps seen in years. We saw Harrison Butker just nail 58 yarder after 58 yarder. It is the only position bringing me pleasure in fantasy right now. Scott, how are you? Oh, I totally agree. I'm great. And, you know, we know some people or friends in the industry have tried to get rid of kickers. No, no, no. We need to go double dual kickers. There's so many <laughs> good ones now. Of course, the kickers in make. the flex. Kickers in yeah. the flex. Nobody could make a kick in week one, of course. But I want to see Zerline. I want to see Justin Tucker. I want to see Harrison Bucker. Maybe Matt Prater. You know, one of the few things in Detroit that they can feel good about. I want those four guys somewhere you know, during their bye week, I want to see them making 70 yarders. I, I want to see them. Why isn't there like a kicker combine? Why don't we hear oh that? God, oh, yeah. Buckter made a 73 yarder at, you know, at indoors in Indianapolis. I never hear about that. So, in fact, we don't have kickers on our rundown, Andy. I, I think, you know, yeah, whatever. Running backs, receivers. I, I think let's, let's run through all 32 kicking situations. Maybe that's what we need to do today. <laughs> That would be more pleasurable than what we're going to do, because we're going to have to talk about a bunch of injuries like it's a cliche in the NFL. Right. And in our racket to to say that a week, you know, presented us with things we've never seen before, that it was the greatest this, that it was the worst that off the top of my head. I honestly can't remember a day in which we saw so many injuries to so many key players like it was it was as bad as maybe it's ever been as certainly as it's been in in years. We can't even possibly run through all of them. It was injuries didn't spare any position other than kicker. It was Jimmy Garoppolo. It was Drew Locke, Saquon Barkley done for the year, Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman injured in the same game, along with every other relevant 49er. It seemed Christian McCaffrey is going to be out for multiple weeks. Cam Akers is dinged. Devontae Adams is dinged. Cortland Sutton out for the year. Sterling Shepard, Paris Campbell. Multiple huge name impact defensive players, including Nick Bosa. There are at least four consensus first round fantasy picks that are already hurt and like significantly hurt. And then you look to the second round and you've got Godwin, you've got Kittle. Man, we came into week two with just an injury mess on our hands and we left it with a profound injury mess on our hands. Yeah, it sounds like the Falcons aren't sure where Julio Jones's hamstring is at either. So we'll be monitoring that this week. And of course, we have an Atlanta receiver that we'll be talking about. But here's my question to you, Andy. I've always felt that just staying healthy 
was a key part of any fantasy football season. And while there's going to be a random nature to who gets hurt, I've, I've tried to do some best practices. You know, I don't draft into injured players in the summer. There are certain players with injury profiles I will tend to avoid. I, you know, when, when somebody like Will Fuller ends up being dinged up, I don't, I don't take any satisfaction in that, but he's somebody I probably wouldn't have drafted, although he was a reasonable value. But what can we do? What's the proactive solution other than get lucky I couldn't see any reason why with the number one pick, you wouldn't have taken McCaffrey. Now I feel like the Barkley shares that I had, maybe I should have been pivoting to Ezekiel Elliott in that spot. But there are so many players who would have had about as clean a bill of health and as low a risk for injury as you would think and who are already hurt now. And I'm just wondering, what what's the pivot here? What what can we take from this and apply strategically other than we have to be vigilant with our waiver wire moves and, and vigilant not just in bidding, but I think Thursday, Friday, Saturday are also – days we have to pay attention because news is breaking every day. It used to be you cut once, you made your bids, and you sat on your hands for like 72 hours. I think one yeah. of these that, that's out the window now. It's a day-to-day thing. you got to grind it. But other than that, how can we build healthier teams? Is there something we can do? You know, it's it's really funny. The uh, the natural pivot, the sort of branded pivot in the fantasy industry is zero RB, right? But like the wide receiver position was far worse than running back entering week two, and it's not like they're, they're kind of even right now. I mean, the just as the number one and number two consensus running backs are both injured and significantly injured, so are the number one and two fantasy receivers, right? Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams are both dinged. Uh, Godwin uh, had the concussion. Um, you mentioned Julio Jones. Like, it goes on and on. Kenny Galladay, like, half of the top ten at receiver are also damaged. I think, first of all, um, a point that you just made and that you have made often over the years is critical. It's not something that we can do right now. But it's something to think about as we come into draft season. I've heard you put it as simply as just don't run to trouble. Don't be brimming with injury optimism when you enter your draft. That guy who's going to be out at least two weeks, assume it's going to be worse than two weeks, right? Don't assume a best case scenario or rosy scenario for for every situation. To some extent in fantasy football, and I think... The relationship between draft slot and uh, average draft position and like where the this is something I get at by by actually going through the process of doing those draft slot videos every year. It links up so closely, like who actually wins leagues in Yahoo, you know, in the Yahoo universe. It has so much to do with like your first and second round pick and what that ADP was like the year that Le'Veon Bell held out and none of us thought he was going to really seriously hold out for the entire season. Like nobody who picked second or I forget what the Le'Veon spot was that year. Nobody who picked second or third. It was a disastrous draft slot. And you are your success or failure is going to be tied to a large extent in fantasy football to one or two players. Usually those are the guys that you get at the top of a draft. It was not that case last year with Lamar Jackson. I still feel like, you know, you're just going to have some of these years where you got on the short end of the stick injury wise. But I still feel that you always have to play for the greatest upside at almost at almost every spot. And we can talk a little bit about like the need to try to protect yourself a little bit in the early rounds. But I've just always thought that, like, if you, if you see a player out there like Lamar Jackson last year, like potentially Kyler Murray this year. Josh Allen this year, if he becomes a thing when he starts playing real teams, you know, you got to take big swings on players that you value as having the potential to be league winners. And we like people throw around the term league winner pretty often and and they, they shouldn't apply it to any. But like there's like three or four guys who end up being potential league winners in any given season. It's not half the league. And you just got to take big swings on those guys up and down a draft. I agree. I've as years have gone by. I have shifted from trying to make a safe but exciting pick to just 
play with your hair on fire and make upside picks that <laughs> that went from it used to be like maybe half the draft was was one way half of the other and i've just kept creeping that up and creeping that up and creeping that up and the good the only good news to when we have a week we just did with all the injuries and the see the way the season has gone and maybe with the state of the world right now health wise it was to be expected is that at least it fertilizes the the waiver wire and there's going to be replacements and and people are going to get new opportunities I always joke about the the waiver wire being a self fertilizing lawn that you know, it gets picked clean yeah. and the lawn looks really barren and then the next week there's grass again, you know. So <laughs> there will be new players with opportunities and you know it's just funny how things change. I mean, last week I made a really aggressive bid in a deeper league of mine for Naheem Hines and I didn't win. I, I, I bid well over forty percent of my budget for Naheem Hines. One other person wanted him more than I did. And Naheem Hines had one touch on Sunday, uh, and you know Jonathan Taylor had about 526 touches. So you know that that, that Hines money unspent. I, I guess I'm kind of glad I still have it because I may need it this week to bid on the and the new batch of guys. And if I don't get <laughs> those guys, then I'll be bidding on you know players next week. I, it's a self fertilizing lawn. The uh, the waiver wire. It might even be the same league, but I I had a league in which I placed a uh, like a fifty one dollar offer for Malcolm Brown and didn't get him because he went for like sixty five and it's probably gonna it's probably gonna save my season because I I actually need to spend probably fifty plus on somebody this week too. You mentioned everything that's going on in the world and everything that uh, that that sort of preceded this NFL season a couple months ago. I did a podcast uh, right here on the on the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. Did a podcast with a couple of doctors that have that have appeared over the years on Fantasy Football Live, Dr. Sarah Edwards, Dr. Greg Horner. We did a podcast together talking about the sort of injury situations we might see entering this season. And those guys, it wasn't me, like Dr. Edwards revived the email chain associated with that podcast to talk about everything that had happened yesterday. And it's, you know, and then Dr. Horner listed out all the Achilles injuries, many of them to very young players, which is so reminiscent of what we saw in the preseason in the last in the lockout year of, of 2011, like the number of Achilles injuries that year was just crazy. And we're seeing it again this season. And it's not like you can point to any one injury and say, aha, that's the that's the lack of a normal training build, you know, in the in the offseason. But the, the accumulation of things and it's not just star players either. It's it's an incredible number of players throughout the league. They certainly felt like the lack of a normal offseason and the lack of a normal training regimen have contributed to it. You and I, obviously, together have a combined zero hours of medical expertise. So maybe we're not the people that should be talking about it. But I did I did think it was interesting that two doctors like brought that up again. I wonder if we'll start to see. Remember, Thomas got hurt late in week week one in a game that was already salted away. Mm-hmm. And I'm always I remember the year the Patriots went undefeated and they were obviously trying to run up the score late in games and throwing the ball with, with big leads. And I was always afraid that some frustrated defender was going to go at Tom Brady's knees. And I wonder if we're finally yeah. at a point where you may Lamar Jackson, you know, if, if the Ravens get up big in a game, what's the point of having him play four quarters or having him be exposed for four quarters against maybe a defender who's getting axed to grind because he's been getting his ass kicked for, for two and a half hours. Now, Teams don't have huge. This is like a high school game where you have like, or a college game where you have like players sharing numbers. There's 110 people on the sidelines. <laughs> you can only dress so many people on the NFL games. You can't bench everybody. But I wonder, I suspect by the end of the year, we might see coaches pivoting to more proactive benching. Like this game's out of hand. Like, one of the reasons why I love the Falcons for fantasy is that even when they get behind by 20, 
they still chase the game. Like, you know, the next touchdown is going to give yeah. everybody on the team $10 million. You know, I wonder if at, one, at some point teams are going to say, you know what, we lost today or we won today. Let's at least get the quarterback off the field or like the one guy in the defense we can't replace. Let's get him in bubble wrap because we need him for the long term. I, I wonder if that Thomas injury might have been just a tipping point for coaches changing some of their methodology on that. Uh, it's, a, it's a good point. What was the what was the one game? Was it Washington? Was it was it Joe Gibbs in the 2007 season with the pit? There was one game that was like the first game that you really noticed Belichick just keeping the, the accelerator to the floor. Um, long after the game was over, and he was perfectly willing to risk Brady deep into a game that maybe they led by three. I feel like it was Washington, but of course it kept happening all season. They couldn't make the line big enough. I mean, they, they were favored by like 26, yeah. 27 points at some point in the middle of that game. But, you know, another takeaway that I think is maybe buried with all the injuries before we get into some of these players we're going to be making offers on, the scoring's been crazy. 10 of the 15 yeah. games went over. This week, and a lot of these games sailed over the total. I mean, Atlanta just had a game where they scored 39 points, had no turnovers, and didn't win. That's I think that's the first time <laughs> in like 90 years that's happened. So it feels like, I don't know, this feels like Big 12 football to me, right? That you know, the first yeah. team of 30 isn't going to win. I think you, get, you need to score 40 to feel pretty good nowadays. And it, it's so hard to play defense. The game is so fast, and the hitting zone is so small. And we see all these mobile quarterbacks now, and you can see the defense. They want to hit the quarterback, but they know they're going to get flagged if they hit them in all these wrong areas so they don't know what to do, it just seems it's never been easier for a Kyler Murray. Well, Murray's unbelievable. Lamar Jackson's unbelievable. But I think the defense doesn't know how they can play. I, they don't know where they can right. hit the player because they're so afraid of getting a personal foul or getting ejected. Anyway, it just seems like that's going to be, if, as long as we can keep most of the, some of the talent healthy anyway, I think we're going to see a very high-scoring year and maybe some records broken if they play a full season. No, that's a good point. It's a good point. Um, we need to get into these pickups because people are desperate for ads, enhancements to rosters that are, I mean, I, I don't have a single healthy roster right now. I doubt you do. Nobody does. Doubt anybody does. Let's start at the running back position. And I'm just gonna I'm just going to toss out the names that I've already included in the pickups column. And I'm going to let you sort them out and then we'll talk through them together because I, I feel obviously when the when the first and second consensus overall picks in fantasy drafts suffer significant injuries in a given week, running back is probably the position that most players are going to be angling for. I, another thing we should probably talk about, like something that I list in the pickups column is a recommended, you know, waiver offer for those guys. Like out of a hundred dollar budget, I'm giving twenty one dollars to this guy. I'm giving twenty four dollars to this guy. We probably need to be more aggressive this week, right? Because everybody is is hunting for players on the wire. It's not. It feels like an abnormal week in so many ways. So anyway, I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna give these to you in the way that I would currently, right at this moment, prioritize them, and you tell me where I'm wrong. I'm probably putting Joshua Kelly at the top of the list, and we can talk about what he did and what he's done so far. I am probably slotting. Oh. Gosh, it gets bad in a hurry. So Kelly would be a tier of one. And then I guess I'm going to go Daryl Henderson. And then behind him, I'll throw in a in a tier of their own. Uh, Deion Lewis, Miles Gaskin, Jarek McKinnon. And then we probably have to do something with Mike Davis as well. And then there are some other names that are just going to be, you're just going to see them in the pickups piece consistently. It's going to be some of those understudies. It's going to be your Chase Edmonds types. We don't need to worry about those guys necessarily here. How are you prioritizing the running backs right now? I think Kelly's definitely the, the target to get because he's had a big projectable volume piece in the first two games. Um, the offense actually looked better with with Herbert in there. What, what a strange situation that was. I mean, he's pressed into action just minutes yeah. before the game against the Chiefs, no less. 
And, um, I don't know, maybe that was better for Herbert to get thrown in, you know, without time to be concerned about the game. Maybe he was playing kind of with house money, but I thought he looked really good. We know, even though they have given a, a lot of uh, work to Eckler, we, we know he's not necessarily a, a bell cow. They, they need to supplement him with somebody else. And Kelly's probably the preferred back at the goal line. So a uh, Chargers team that looks like pretty competent. I mean, they, they beat the Bengals in week one. They didn't maybe look great in that game. It sure looked like they outplayed Kansas City for a decent chunk of Sunday's game. They just couldn't find a way to finish it off. So I think this is a good team. We know Anthony Lynn comes from a running back background. He, he wants to have a balanced offense and maybe even run the ball more given his two quarterbacks. So uh, Kelly looks really good to me. I'm a Miles Gaskin believer. I know the Dolphins are still trying to work on their offensive line. It's going to take a while for some of these new offensive lines to gel. You know, continuity, we, we were always banging that drum in the summer. And I think some of these teams that invested in their offensive lines, they haven't come together yet. The Jets yeah. can't seem to block anybody. Miami's line play has been poor. But Gaskin has outplayed Howard and outplayed Breida two straight weeks. I don't think anybody thinks Howard is anything special. Gaskin was a, a really good player at Washington. He was he might have been 1,200 yards all four years at Washington. Yeah, four-year like, starter. A really productive four-year player, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised he went as late as the seventh round. Maybe his combine stats weren't as, as impressive. And, and, of course, you know, there's just so many running backs who get drafted. But I think he's the best. I think he has a chance to separate and become a 15 to 20 touch guy. So I like the potential upside there. To me, the tricky call is what to do with the Niners because we know they have a great running game. No um, Mostert this week. No Tevin Campbell, who who didn't run very well Sunday, and maybe he was hurt in that game. I, I don't know the status of Kittle. They, they obviously aren't, they don't feel very comfortable in that New Jersey turf they were playing on. They're, they're playing the Giants after playing the Jets, uh, a, a nod yeah. to the COVID schedule. It's kind of smart that they allow these teams to make some of these trips so they don't have to go back west, but... I think McKinnon normally would be the person that we jump up and down. Okay, Kyle Shanahan offense, you know, they run the ball effectively. But I don't know if McKinnon can handle a, a full workload. And I just wonder if maybe Jamichael Hasty, who may be promoted off the practice squad, maybe they get a fullback involved. Of course, they may have a backup quarterback playing. I suspect McKinnon might be a trap. He looks really good. <laughs> Again, anything tied to a Shanahan generally in a, in a running game has always been gold. But I think McKinnon might be the trap here. I would be aggressive on Kelly. I would be proactive on Gaskin. I mean, I would, I'm would. i going to throw in a token offer on McKinnon, but if I don't win it, I'm not going to be um, that concerned about it. With Henderson, I just don't know what to do. I mean, Brown was so good in week one. They started Akers in week two. I think at this point, the idea with the Rams, with McVay, just he's going to play. He said all along he wanted to play multiple guys. We never know if Coach Speak is accurate or not. I think McVay was telling us the truth of that. They still have a good passing game. The thing with that's Deion a really Lewis, good point. I actually assumed that I like while McVeigh was saying that because he's I mean, he's lied to us a fair, a fair amount sure. in the past, as is his prerogative. I assumed none of that was true. And I, I assumed it would either be Cam Akers or maybe there was a chance for Malcolm Brown to sneak in there. But surely they wouldn't go with the spin the wheel backfield. But it does seem like that's where they're headed. I'm worried that Dion Lewis isn't going to be the answer for the Giants that maybe yeah. they'll give like Gallman wasn't wasn't active in week two. But maybe he'll be active this week. Devonta Freeman is visiting with the Giants. He would make perfect sense if they want to add a veteran, you know, and, and you know, he, remember he's fired his agent. I mean, Freeman couldn't get a deal in the summer. And the idea was that maybe he was asking for too much money. You would think if Freeman doesn't sign this week, he just not doesn't want to play football because there's going to be a bunch of offers. I would think to him starting with the Giants. I feel, I feel like 
Freeman is like that football that Zerline kicked and it's just kind of circling down the field and the Falcons are like looking at it and not touching it. <laughs> like nobody's, nobody, who knows? Maybe by the time this, uh, you guys are listening to this, Freeman will have signed, but, uh, that's a great, that's a great analogy. Let me just throw out one more thing. You mentioned Chase Edmonds and the problem with Edmonds is you can't play him in week three. He just doesn't have yeah. projectable floor, but he's a guy that if at any point Drake were to fall from grace, you know, fumbles or he had a couple of bad games or he would get hurt. And Drake's never been a full-time back going back to his time at Alabama. Not necessarily a strike against him because Alabama has so much talent there, but you're going to want Chase Edmonds if he's ever a starter. The moment he's a starter, we're going to be ranking him as an RB1. So if you have the freedom, and I know you might not have it with injuries, you might not have the the time to wait on somebody who you're not going to play in week three. But if you had stash room for, and I don't want to say stash everybody, it's the cheapest advice and, you know, maybe you can't do it. But if you have a space for Chase Edmonds, I'd really like him on your bench somewhere. It's a good call. I think he's uh, I think he and Pollard, probably the the best of that understudy group. Maybe we could throw Madison in there. I would have done that a couple of weeks ago, but the Vikings have been jarringly bad. Uh, <laughs> just to, to Murray. Yeah, right, right. To uh, to double back to your point on uh, Gaskin, it's a pretty nice story. And it's one where. If you'd been paying attention, I suppose, to a lot of the Miami beat writers, and perhaps I, I should have been believing more of what they were writing, they were on this because Coach Flo and, and everybody in Miami was raving about the way Gaskin was practicing. Um, you heard an awful lot of it. It's just that we were having such a uh, maybe spirited debate is too strong, but we were having a debate in the fantasy community over whether Howard was the guy or Brita was the guy. And it turns out you can probably drop both Howard and Brita and Gaskin is is actually the right answer in Miami. Another another point I just want to make in in favor of Joshua Kelly before we move on to other positions. I I have seen some criticism of him for. I mean, obviously, he hasn't been as efficient as Eckler. Eckler still touched the ball 20 times in each of the Chargers' first two games. I want to say that that Kelly is averaging like three and a half yards per carry now, but people people got to realize that like he's getting the ball in short yardage situations. He's getting the ball in a ton of situations where the goal is two yards, you know? So it's not going to look as pretty. He's actually faced, according to Next Gen Stats, he's seen eight or more in the box on like 31 or th- 32% of his carries so far, which is a huge percentage um among the among the highest in the league so it's a lot of that is situational noise if you see him like on the 35 yard reception that he had on sunday that that was all him like he's fully capable of some big games uh, some big gains and uh and they love him at the goal line too so i'm I'm more in on Kelly, definitely, at the at running back than I am on any of these other guys. But, uh, but before you know. we pivot, um, with Christian McCaffrey expected to miss some games, is Mike Davis interesting to you or anybody else in the Carolina backfield? Yeah, see, Carolina is another one of these teams to me that seems like they'll probably kick the tires on some free agents. I'm sure Mike Davis will get interesting, but it's not like, you know, we kind of talked about this with Michael Thomas a little bit on Fantasy Football Live on Sunday. It's not like Christian McCaffrey is it has is a role, you know, <laughs> you know, that's not like a that's not just, oh, somebody's job. And if you're the running back for the Carolina Panthers, you're just a thousand yard rusher and a thousand yard receiver and you catch 100 balls like that's that's just not like he's just one of those guys who's like Thomas, just a different kind of cat. And it's not like Mike Davis can step in and be 90 percent of that. I don't think Mike Davis can step in and be 70 percent of that. I think it's going to take multiple players to sort of merge together to give you even three quarters of the production that Christian McCaffrey might have given us. So like Mike, 
Mike Davis caught a bunch of balls in uh, on Sunday. Like I think he had eight catches on eight targets, 70 plus yards. He's serviceable enough and I can see him. I don't know. I can see him having some 10 carry four catch games in the absence of Christian McCaffrey. And maybe that's enough for you right now. But that's not obviously that's not a, a one for one replacement for CMC. It's important, though, that he is able to catch the ball because with that Carolina defense, they're going to be trailing right. in the second half of almost every game, it feels like. And certainly against the Chargers team, it's pretty good the first two weeks. I would think they'll be trailing again in week three. All right, let's get to receiver because, goodness, uh, there there are needs everywhere. Some of the names discussed in the in the pickups column, the the two that I, that I wrote about mainly were Russell Gage, who we talked about last week. Keelan Cole found the end zone again. He's tied to a Jacksonville offense that not only are they humming, but, man, their schedule ahead is really friendly. It's not just Miami coming up. It's like every game they play before their week seven bye is just is just like a layup matchup. So things look really good for Jacksonville right now. Some other guys who are out there in more than 50 percent of Yahoo leagues include Corey Davis, Golden Tate, Michael Pittman Jr. Following the Paris Campbell injury could be a thing. Who are your priorities here? Yeah, you know, I Corey Davis looks awfully good to me, a post type sleeper the aj brown injury sounds like multiple weeks uh, he goes over 100 the first game touchdown second game and this minnesota defense can't uh, they just can't seem to figure things out i mean it was just so easy for green bay in week one not that rogers didn't play great and then the colts steamrolled them in week two and man ryan Tannehill, he keeps doing it i know they don't throw the ball all that much but at least there, there aren't a lot of targets he's competing with. Johnny Smith obviously had a nice game there, and Humphreys also scored. But it's not like Tannehill's throwing the ball to nine different guys. So right. I think there's a projectable role there. You know, Gage, the only problem I have with Gage, it was really encouraging to see him score a touchdown because he, he's been a five-catch-a-week guy since they got rid of Mohamed Sanu middle of last season. But the question was, will he score a touchdown? I think he only has two touchdowns in that sp- – You know, we're talking about maybe nine, ten-game sample now. But he did score Sunday – Maybe Julio's dinged up. And the thing with Atlanta, you know, and we, I, we talked about this so much, I, you know, people should know this by now. Their defense is bad. They'll chase the game in the second half. And the target tree, the usage tree here is so narrow. They're not throwing the ball to fullbacks. In fact, they may not even be throwing the ball to Todd Gurley anymore. They did get Hayden Hurst involved last week, which is encouraging. He's getting a lot of slot reps, which we love when a tight end isn't taking out the trash. One of the best places, ways to identify tight end value. But it's basically Matt Ryan basically saying, okay, I got three receivers and a good tight end. I'm going to pepper all of you guys. So the fact that Gage saw a heavy target share two weeks in a row with a team that's going to throw the ball 650 times, he's he's on pace to be, you know, like why he probably end the season right now. I would think like wide receiver 30 to 35. He's going to be a very playable wide receiver three, somebody who in a deeper league, you might set and forget. I think he might be that valuable. Yeah, it's a good point. He's seen over 20 targets in his first two games, and that's a pretty short list right now. That's not a lot of guys. It was encouraging, I thought, to see him have another good day. By the way, he threw the ball that Julio Jones should have caught. It was a really fun play. Should have, should have, it was one of the best throws of week two, and Julio dropped it. It was, it was good to see him succeed in a week that Hayden Hurst also went off because I was a bit concerned that there might be a an either or element to that, right? Because they're both probably going to be short range targets. Uh, Russell Gage on the year is averaging just over seven air yards per target. So like Ridley and Julio are the downfield guys that are like 15 air yards per target and engages half of that. So he, he's not going to be, you know, he's probably not going to give you that 180 yard game. Um, but he probably is going to have a few more seven, eight, nine catch games. Let me let me throw out two other names. I take some humble uh, pie along with this. I I was very 
muted on what I expected from Cam Newton. I thought the Celtics, the Patriots signing him on the cheap was a great move because it's all upside. It's a very incentive-laden contract. But Newton had been so physically beaten up the last couple of years. I didn't like the pieces around Newton in the New England offense. Obviously, Brady suffered with them last season at the end of last year, and the team ended the year very poorly. Newton looked terrific against uh, – I thought he looked good against Miami, and I thought he terrific in the Seattle game. They, they lost the game, but not any fault of Newton. And as much as I'm not an Akeel Harry guy, he's got 18 targets. And, yeah. uh, you know, Damian Bird out of nowhere had a 72-yard game. Now, now Newton's not going to throw for around 400 yards a week. We know that. And the problem with all these receivers, including Julian Edelman, is that the goal line, Newton's such an imposing runner – it's just hard to imagine who's going to catch touchdown passes there because why wouldn't they give the ball to Newton? I, I know he didn't score in the final play, but it's so difficult to stop him. He's so physical and so gigantic. But there's going to be, you know, there's not really a tight end in this offense. Uh, you know, eventually they'll get they'll get James White back and, and you know hang in there, James White. I know he had a really awful weekend with yeah. what happened to his parents. Really good guy, but you know it's frustrating for me to see Nikhil Harry when the Patriots could have all these other receivers in last year's draft, and instead they have Harry. But man, <laughs> he's got 18 targets so far, and Cam Newton's winging it. I, I feel like there's something to be mined here in New England. I don't know if Bird's a thing. I don't know if Harry's going to get better. He was hurt most of last year. Can I interest you? Because Bird right now rostered in zero percent of Yahoo leagues, and Harry's available in about three quarters of Yahoo leagues. Can I interest you in a Patriots receiver? Yeah, no, I should have mentioned Harry. The the workload super promising. Obviously, on a on a night, what a fun game that was, by the way. Like, what a what a great sports night Sunday ended up being between. Like, if you were flipping back and forth between the between the Nuggets Lakers game and Sunday night football, you just got one crazy highlight play after another. That was, and I timed it well too. Man, that was a good sports night, and Cam looked awesome. So. If Cam can be like, it's it's just good to know that Cam can still be that guy like this is these these two weeks have had the have had the vibe of rookie year Cam where it's, you know, a dominant rushing performance one week and then it's 400 yards through the air the next. That's how we broke into the league. And that's that's those that's the story of the opening weeks in New England. So, yes, that's a long way to say, yes, I'm I'm plenty interested in Harry if he's going to continue to see this sort of volume. That's a great connection to make, too, because remember when Cam's rookie year was when they had a muted offseason and nobody knew yeah. what to expect. And Cam was a free agent on most in most leagues. And he had the monster game week one and just exploded. And then this year, you know, the expectations and a lot, you know, some people like Newton for the rushing. I, I wasn't one of the proactive Newton drafters. So I'm again, I'm behind. The good thing is there's so many right answers, a quarterback. If you miss on a quarterback, it doesn't really matter. I and mean, I have a bunch of Russell Wilson, a bunch of Matt Ryan. I'm, I'm doing just fine. People with Kyler Murray right now are super happy. Dak just had a monstrous game, but and for all the credit people want to give to Belichick, remember Josh McDaniels is an outstanding offensive designer, and he's putting Newton in positions to succeed. So I think there's something to be found here. Uh, I would also, by the way, trade Julian Edelman off the best one of the best regular season games he's ever had. He's not really a big touchdown guy. He's a heavy attrition guy. I think it might he be a good a, time He had a maybe. chance at a game winner. He had a chance at a game winner. Cam, I mean... He fired that ball, but he couldn't have placed it much better. Uh, before we pivot out of receiver, the Jacksonville offense has been awfully fun. You mentioned Cole and, and Chanoa have popped the last couple of weeks. I'm a little bit disappointed because I'm such a big DJ Chark guy, and I was hoping they were just going to pepper him off the bus. Instead, it seems like with Minshew, he's trying to spread the ball around. His 19 completions in week one went to 10 different guys. I think he had eight different receivers in the Tennessee game. But, you know, what if Minshew was a first or second round pick? I think people would be really excited about him. I think people need to forget that he didn't have the, the draft pedigree and remember that he played for Mike Leach. Remember that Nick Saban wanted him as a graduate transfer. Yeah. 
as a backup, but still, when Alabama wants you, you, you get to be pretty good. If you're good enough for Mike Leach and Nick Saban, and you're doing it at the NFL level, at what point do we just say, hey, Minshew's good, and if a guy's in his circle of trust, he, he should be good for fantasy. No, it's a, it's a good point, because Saban doesn't want four stars, right? Like, you, right. It's, it's five stars or bust. Um, to your point, and this is a good segue to uh, quarterback ads, this is... Uh, these, these are the next four games for the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's Miami, and then it's at Cincinnati, and then it's at Houston, and then it's Detroit. So these are four defenses that we haven't really seen stop anything as of yet. Miami and Cincinnati are obviously super friendly matchups. Minshew has got it going on right now. Yeah, six touchdowns through his first two games. There, there's no stopping the best players in that offense. Like, I feel like some shark managers are a little bit worried. I will just say that he is he is out snapping any, anybody else in that receiving core. Like he's the one receiver who's just always on the field. And to me, there's a bit of a buy low situation there. I'm probably the wrong guy to talk about it because I had Shark in my top 10 receivers coming into the season. But I just think there's a blow up game coming. And with this schedule over the next four weeks, I mean, there's there's no way that Minshew, short of injury, is going to face plan as good as he's looked so far. Like it's it's entirely plausible that through six weeks, Gardner Minshew is going to be like a top, I don't know, top eight fantasy quarterback top. He's got a little rushing element to his game too. rush for over 300 yards last year. So that's not totally absent. Like it's man with a really friendly slate like this. It's possible that he's like a top five, top eight fantasy QB. Yeah, he, he was my favorite target outside, maybe the top 18 or 20 quarterbacks or a super flex quarterback on a budget maybe a dfs play and, and by the way if you're getting killed with injuries you can all play dfs your your, your entire roster will be yeah. healthy the, the moment you set a dfs lineup on sunday <laughs> just hope hope they can last the balance of the day you know i saw some of the other names you have on the quarterback list philip rivers gets the jets Tannehill, who just seems to be a touchdown machine at that minnesota defense that can't stop anybody but i had to add you didn't want to put his name down but i had to add mitch trubisky because he's at atlanta and the falcons right now can't stop anything the two and oh bears you're just lowballing your quarterback. I, you know, I want to know, you know, Trubisky. I don't, I don't know if Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes is a better Super Bowl matchup for for Trubisky. But um, the redemption <laughs> tour seems alive and well in Chicago. Take a victory lap, Andy. Yeah, the good thing is we know the Bears can score with anybody. So whether it's Lamar, whether it's Mahomes, you know, they're going to have trouble sleeping before they before they have to face uh, Mitchy football. Um, yeah, it was, but. The best advice I can possibly give on Mitch was actually given by Tank Williams on Fantasy Football Live on Sunday when he said, you can go ahead and plug him in a lineup. Um, He's going to be a bargain. You just don't want to watch it like you definitely don't want to watch it. Mitch had his especially week one like he wasn't obviously it wasn't anything special in week two. They just happened to win. But his week one performance was one of the absolute worst watches of the week. And then it was just punctuated by a couple of good throws. And he ended up with a nice stat line because it was Detroit. But, oh, my goodness, did he miss some players? No clock awareness, no no situational awareness. It was all the things that uh, that troubled you about Mitch for years writ large. And yet he still finished with a pretty good fantasy line. And as you say, Atlanta is a spectacular matchup. Uh, I think we know that now after what, you know, Russell Wilson and Dak did to them in back to back weeks. It's just an absolutely spectacular matchup. So if. If Dak can go for 400 yards and three rushing touchdowns, surely Mitch can go for 250, couple of scores through the air, maybe a shot at a rushing. So, like, it's possible. Anything is possible against Atlanta. Yeah, that's totally fair. Um, you know, with Rivers, I'm torn because I love Frank Reich, but 
Hilton looks like he's maybe on the downside of his career. He dropped, he dropped it, should have been a touchdown pass. Just when I got excited about Paris Campbell, he got hurt. And maybe yeah. Taylor is such a dominant force in this running game that maybe they become a balanced offense or a run-heavy offense. We know the Colts have probably the best offensive line in football. So I'm just worried that with Rivers, I don't know who his primary target is. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, he seems to love his tight ends. We'll get to Mo Alley Cox a little bit later, but I'm just worried that there's no receiver necessarily that's going to drag Rivers. When we talked about Pittman as maybe a possible pickup, we know the Jets are a good matchup right now, but I, I love Philip Rivers for years. I just think I've just gotten to the point now where I just can't really trust him. Man, Hilton, I mean, it's probably a subject for a different podcast, but uh, the struggles that, that Hilton has suddenly had with drops and, and AJ Green as well, like, Boy, a couple of couple of veteran receivers that and, you know, you can you can kind of forgive AJ who didn't even play football last year, but he's having some balls hit him in the hands that he's not. They're not drops exactly, but they are catches that you would certainly expect an alpha receiver to make. And Hilton has had some of those plays as well. Really frustrating so far. So I hear you on Rivers. OK, want to uh, talk some tight ends. It seems like half the tight ends in the league scored in week two. So you should have plenty of, of guys to choose from as somebody who had Blake Jarwin all over the map. Like literally probably had more exposure to Blake Jarwin than any player. I can't like it's it's pretty bittersweet seeing this Dalton Schultz fantasy line. Nine catches on 10 targets, 88 yards, one touchdown. I was banking on a few of those games from Jarwin. I'm confident that we would have had them. It appears that they're going to use Schultz. I don't know. We're, we're basing this off one game. Lamb looked good as well, but it appears that Schultz is going to step right into a, a Jarwin sized workload, which kind of breaks my heart. But it definitely puts him on the fantasy map. Other guys, Drew Sample made a lot of noise as a fill-in for Cincinnati. A lot of that, of course, was game flow and the fact that Joe Burrow was throwing the ball 60 times. But there's probably going to be more games where Joe Burrow has to put the ball in the air 50-plus times. He had a huge cushion. He took advantage of it. Jordan Reed spiked a couple times, which would just never happen for George Kittle, but suddenly happened to Jordan Reed. Shout out to Jordan Reed being the healthiest player in the NFL right now. That's amazing. Jordan Aikens, a guy that we've talked about before, Logan Thomas, at least had a workload uh, in week two, even if he didn't didn't quite find Paydirt uh, in the way that he had the week before. And then you mentioned the name in Indianapolis, Mo Ali Cox. You'll never guess what sport he played before he transitioned to football. Like every other buzzy tight end, he was a he was a basketball player. He looked great, over 100 yards, five catches, hyper athletic. He is a he's a go fetch it kind of guy, right? Like the ball just has to be in the area and he has the athleticism to pull it down. So he's really interesting tied to Philip Rivers, who we know loves his tight ends and with no Jack Doyle. So what are what are your priorities? here? Yeah, Ellie Cox really pops for me because you look at some of the other guys who played well. You know, Schultz averaged under 10 yards a catch. Sample was seven for 45, you know, six yards a catch. Reed had the two touchdowns, but seven for 50. That's seven yards a catch. Mo Ali Cox did 111 yards on five catches. Yeah. So just tight ends yeah. generally don't do that a lot because the, the average depth of target is going to be so much lower. And some of these guys don't run well after the catch. This kind of catch and fall guys. That's how we thought of as Jack Doyle, really. just kind of a catch. Where he caught the ball, he was going to get tackles. Almost, you know, <laughs> so the moment they touched, they touched him, it felt like Doyle was on the ground. So uh, Rivers likes to throw between the numbers. He likes to throw to tight ends. Obviously, a long history with Gates. It seemed like Doyle was going to be a, a good play this year. So... Ellie Cox would be my priority with Schultz. It's a chicken egg thing because the good thing with Schultz is that every team is so worried about their receivers. And I guess Ezekiel Elliott to some degree that Schultz will never be the focus of a defense. 
Yep. But also there's going to be some games where he might get, you know, two to four targets and you're just going to have to live with that. I think he's probably going to be 80 to 90 percent of what we thought Jarwin would be. And that's I'm like you. I drafted a lot of Jarwin. I also have a lot of Chris Herndon, which has been very frustrating. Ugh. I'm willing to absolve Herndon and, and say that it's really on the Jets that they don't know how to use him. He's blocking a lot. I think he should be running more downfield. But maybe it's just you just can't live with the Jet. You know, I, I just... You know, we didn't. I, I didn't have the, the heart to mention Frank Gore in the running back segment, even though I have much respect. Oh, for I him. didn't either. I kept looking at his name on the rundown, and I couldn't say it. I, I just, just don't want to say anything bad about Frank Gore. I, you know, I have so right. much respect for him That's where I'm and at. stuff. And you know, the the jet stench is just hard to wash off. So, I, Ali Cox would be my priority. I, I do think the the Texans are learning that Aikens needs to be. I know how Fels had the touchdown, but Aikens had more targets. It sounds like Fuller might be hurt. You know, Brandon Cooks has an extensive concussion history. Randall Cobb's kind of just yeah. a guy right now. I think Aikens could maybe be like a 750 yard, you know, five to seven touchdown tight end. I think he has that kind of upside, and we love Deshaun Watson. So uh, Aikens, to me, it might be a stock that needs some time to blossom, but he's interesting to me. I also want to mention Logan Thomas. I know he didn't do much with the nine targets. I blame that more on the quarterback than, than Thomas, but nine targets is a lot for a tight end, and he's just rostered in 32%. Of Yahoo leagues, I, I think he's still somebody. If, if somebody dropped him because he didn't have a lot of yards last week, I I think he might be of interest. So to, to just prioritize here, Ali Cox would be my my first guy. I'd be proactive on Schultz. I'd be proactive on Aikens. I guess as long as Reed's healthy, and I also like these wearing number eighty one. I mean, I th- I'm thinking, oh, that's Terrell Owens. <laughs> Wait a minute, no, it's it's Anquan Bolden. No, it's it's Jordan Reed who you know. It's like how Daryl Strawberry was the only Simpsons character who didn't have something befall him. How is Jordan Reed the only healthy player in the NFL right now? That doesn't make any sense. But he was always a good football player as long as he stayed on the field. I can't guarantee yeah. it will be long. I don't mean to be glib about that. If I took one NFL hit, I'd never walk again. But um, and, and he may be playing with a backup quarterback. We didn't talk about Nick Mullins at all. It sounds like he might be starting for the for the Niners in week three. But. Um, so anyway, Ali Cox is the guy, is the priority guy for me here. And then I see a lot of good secondary options. Anybody else we mentioned, I think, is is more of a, you know, a reactive play than a proactive play. Ali Cox would be the guy I'd really want to go get. Before we wrap, let me ask a general question about your philosophy with the waiver wire, particularly in leagues where, you know, you have an acquisition budget that you need to that you need to draw from. Let's say you're 0 and 2 right now. How are you approaching some of these names? Are you at this point 0 and 2? Knowing the likelihood of moving from 0-2 into the fantasy playoffs, are you much more likely to go all in on some of your some of your offers to these guys? I think fantasy football needs to be played with a microscope, not a telescope. And we have to a lot of times play for today. And, and sometimes if, if you're on one of these teams where you've been riddled by injuries, I'm not afraid, especially in a season like this where it, we have anecdotal evidence that it might be a heavier injury season. I'm not afraid to say to myself, who's the most – important player in my roster. Could I fetch three starting players for him? Yeah. Okay. Could I trade Ezekiel Elliott for you know whatever it is, a, a solid running back I would play every week, a number two receiver and a tight end or something. I mean, again, this is all contextual. You have to fill it to what your individual needs are, what the waiver wire looks like. There's no way to tailor this to everybody, but this is the type of year. Generally, we always say, look, the two for one, get the best player, the three for one, get the best player. There may be some people out there in deeper formats where the idea would be, look, get a healthy team on the field you feel good about. And if that means trading Devontae Adams or if that means trading Ezekiel Elliott, maybe or Derrick Henry or somebody like that, that might be something you might want to consider. Again, season that the taste to the shape of your league. Yeah, it's it's really good advice. And we almost never say like you, you lose your fantasy expert card if you if you recommend that people take the three players over the one player in a trade. Right. Like nobody ever likes to do that. 
But you're so right. Coming off a coming off a week like the one we've just seen, if you're to actually go to your league and say, hey, Dalvin Cook's on the block, Tyree Kill's on the block, um, Zeke Elliott's on the block, Chris Carson off another big game is on the block. Any of these guys, that is actually probably a good way to play it, because realistically, some of the some of the names that we're talking about having to replace cannot be replaced with Joshua Kelly and Russell Gage. Like you're not you're not getting equivalent production from those from those guys that you that you would have from Saquon, from any of these receivers that are yeah, the Carolina so, situation, McCaffrey. And, and let's yeah. be fair here. This works both ways. If you have been touched by the fantasy gods and your roster is almost injury free and you have like good players on your bench that you can't utilize right now, you can go the other way and you can say to somebody, hey, you know, I, I have these these three or four useful pieces. Let me package this to get your best player. So it's the thing where the, the right strategy for different shapes of rosters can be totally different. The team that has been you know, is two and oh is crushing. You, you hit on your late picks or you, you really nailed the waiver wire. Maybe you got to Russell Gage early or whoever some of the waiver wire hits have been. If that's your team, then you're trying to find the people in your league who are struggling right now who need to go all in in week three. The guy who just lost McCaffrey. Maybe you get his next best player. Maybe he, you can get Travis Kelsey from yeah. him for two or three starters. So this is a, a strategy that, on you know, depending on where your team is at, going for the collection might make sense on one end. And then trading, putting two or three chips on the table to get that one star could make sense for a different team. Yeah, you're so right. I, I hate to even give advice to people that are actually two and zero and healthy right now because I can't relate to that in any in any way. But, <laughs> but you're yeah, totally I'm gonna block right to those people it. on Twitter. I don't, you know, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> oh, that's gonna that's gonna do it for this pickups pod. Wow, what a what a week, what a what a messy messy week in the NFL. Thank you, Scott, for joining us as always. Scott's on Twitter at. Scott underscore Pianowski. We probably have roughly the same things that we'd like to plug, but just in case, what are you, what are you working on right now? All sorts of stuff. Still doing the fantasy baseball podcast and, and all sorts of football stuff. I'll, I'll just also point out that on Saturdays, I do an injury wrap. And this should have been the year I should have told Jason Kabaka, our, our editorial editor, that I wanted like double pay for the injury wrap. I didn't realize <laughs> it was going to turn into a phone book every week, but it's going to be. So um, if, if you're trying to make sense of where your team is at, you know, sometimes I file it late Friday. It's usually an early Saturday morning piece. But um, and, and if you want direct advice from me, um, I do do the Andy does a video Q&A on Sunday morning before FFL live and then uh, or fantasy football live. And then I do um, a Twitter thing on Sunday where I can I can give you Q&A stuff. So uh, and then all the normal stuff during the week. You know, I'm not hard. Oh, to find. man. If I can give you one more callback to Fantasy Football Live, we actually had one of my one of my top five all time favorite moments in FFL history on this week's show. Tank Williams was conducting an interview with uh, Ed Reed, obviously one of the greatest defensive players of my lifetime. Wonderful player. Fun interview. Um, Ed Reed was good, too. Exactly. (laughs) And the the, the subject was uh, Tank is just throwing out a bunch of maybe turnover prone quarterbacks with the idea that we can maybe stream some defenses, take advantage of, of these quarterbacks tendencies. And oh my goodness, when tank just said the name, Philip rivers, you should have seen Ed Reed's eyes light up. Like he could, Oh my gosh, it was the, it was the greatest. He like, he trembled with excitement at the idea of somebody being able to pick off Philip rivers. It's, it's one of the favorite, my favorite expressions I've ever seen on the show. It was, it was just absolutely tremendous. So watch the show, ask Scott your questions in the chat. Yeah. You know, when you think about dominant, safeties right a lot of times these guys are just bone rattlers and and not that ed reed wasn't a great physical player but you just see ed reed scheming and ed, ed reed setting up an offense and setting up a quarterback okay you think this play is available but it's really not and uh, <sighs> just how many times he stole the lunch money 
from and, and broke the soul of, of another team. One of my all-time favorite players. I've never I, even had any affiliation with the Ravens, but man, I loved Ed Reed. I'm I'm fully on board with that. It felt like every spotlight game they played, Ed Reed scored. <laughs> like he didn't just he didn't just get a game-changing pick. He scored. Uh, what a what a wonderful player and what a like just a tremendous moment on the show. It's an all-timer. Don't forget, check out the Yahoo family of uh, podcasts. Scott, of course, as you said, hosts the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast. We got another week of that. I am. I am a wreck checking some of the same Yahoo fantasy baseball leagues now, like multiple times a day. I need this season to be over. It's been fun. It's been really fun, but it's been trying. Also, check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler. It's secretly one of my favorite fantasy podcasts as well. And, uh, of course, the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel with Pete Thamel and with our very good friend, Pat Forty. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I am at Andy Barron's. One more time, huge thanks to Planners for sponsoring the show. That is it. We are out. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to follow us on social media at skullduggerypod